You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com. Well, you know what that music means. You should. It is Saturday, even though it's a different time slot. The the Saturday staple of the Gordon Damer Show continues, and it is what I learned on TikTok. Now, if you're not a regular listener, shame on you, because it's right there on the app every single week, the incredible ESPN New York app. What I learned on TikTok this week is a segment where I, as a 51-year-old man, spend way too much time on that TikTok app. But I do so because I learn so much in the course of a week. So we've crafted a little segment where I will give you, the listener, the caller, producer, board up, four pieces of information. Three of which are just completely made up. Just factually inaccurate. They are false pieces of information falsehoods if you will but one of them is true they all sound ridiculous but one of them is actually true and you have to spot what is the real fact what is the fact that i learned this week on tiktok so we'll take some calls 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number we're kind of we don't have time to take too many calls but we'll take some but tom and uh, you have some help today. We have a new uh, person uh, working the show. His name is Harvey. Harvey, are you ready to go? Do you understand how the show works, my friend? Yes, sir. I'm ready to go. All right. Harvey's ready to go. Tom, we'll put you in the hot seat first. Are you ready, my friend? As uh, as ready as I'll ever be, Gordon. All right. Here we go. Um, all right. Number one, Tom, idiots are banned from voting in New Mexico. Idiots are banned from voting in New Mexico. Number two, you have to be at least 18 years of age to play pinball in South Carolina. Number three, in Montana, it's illegal for more than five women to live in a house. Or number four, in Louisiana, it's illegal for women to wear patent leather shoes in public. All right, so I'll give them to you again, Tom. Here you go. Idiots, number one, are banned from voting in New Mexico. Number two, you have to be at least 18 years of age to play pinball in South Carolina. Number three, in Montana, it's illegal for more than five women to live in a house. Or number four, in Louisiana, it's illegal for women to wear patent leather shoes in public. All right. So the first one is funny and amusing, but I do not believe that's it at all. Okay. The Montana one, I feel like would have to do with something with like cult related or like religious related, but I don't Maybe. know. I don't know Montana well enough. No, okay. The fourth one is something with shoes. I patent leather shoes. They're like shiny shoes. You, mm. I don't know. Maybe kids today they don't know about patent leather shoes. They were big back in the day. Yeah, but that's in. But Louisiana is home to New Orleans, so of course I believe that that is incorrect. So okay. I'm going to go with the pinball in South Carolina because I know there's like. There's some probably some weird like gambling law or something like that with South Carolina. Are you going to lock it in? You're very confident, Tom. I sound confident, but I'm really not confident. Confident. I'm shivering in the inside, but I'm locking that in. All right, locking it in. Very impressive, Tom. Right out of the box. Yes, you are correct. Now those other ones, I did not just make those up out of the the clear blue sky. Uh, up until I think five years ago, the New Mexico state laws actually had a term that you were not allowed to be an idiot and vote. So that did not. I did not just make that up out of the clear blue sky. Uh, Montana. No, it's not Montana. In Ohio, it's illegal for more than five women to live in a house. And uh, also in Ohio, I think it's in Cleveland, it's illegal for women to wear patent leather shoes in public. So those all have some some basis in uh, in truth. 
But uh, very good job, Tom. You nailed it right out of the box. Yeah, I don't like you. when that happens. Jacob did that a couple of weeks ago, and I actually started to reevaluate my, my show, the segment, my life, really, because it was that disappointing. So very good job by Tom there. Uh, Anthony is in the mail truck. He struck out uh, struck out hard, you'd have to say. He struck out spectacularly during Stump Rothenberg. He thought he had a question, didn't have, thought he had me dead to rights, did not have me dead to rights. But Anthony's in the mail truck. Anthony, my friend, how we doing? Gordon, how we doing? All right. Let's see if you can uh, salvage your, your weekend. Now, will this devastate you if you get this wrong like you failed in Stump Rothenberg? No, because I, I feel like there was there was some tomfoolery happening with the with my question. So how how in what way? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's only for you to know. You take that to the grave, though. Uh, well, are you saying now I cheated because I got it right? I never said that. Never said wow. that. Wow. Now, Anthony, you've you've thrown out accusations before <laughs> against the very honorable and uh, reputable Brick D. Pietro. You've said that he oh, cheated. He, so he anytime things cheated. go against you. Seems we uh, we understand that. I'm like fifty fifty with you. All right. Well, so, I mean, the why? <laughs> why would I start cheating now? I mean, like if, if I got him wrong in the past, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're All right. right. You're right. Here we go. All right, number one, Anthony. Let's try and salvage this segment here. When Apollo Eleven landed on Earth, it only had roughly twenty seconds of fuel left. Number two, lobsters pee out of their faces. Number three, Ghana won the world's shortest recorded war in world history at only 38 minutes. Or number four, four, the phrase, is Pepsi okay, originated in Cuba because Coca-Cola is banned there. All right, so to recap one more time, Anthony, for you. When Apollo 11 landed on Earth, it had roughly only 20 seconds of fuel left. Number two, lobsters pee out of their faces. Number three, Ghana won the world's shortest war in only 38 minutes. Or number four, the phrase, is Pepsi okay? Originated in Cuba because Coca-Cola is banned in Cuba. So I'm going to take a different approach this week, Gordon. All right. And I'm going to go with the lobster thing because if you made that up, then we got we to gotta talk off the air as well. Okay. Oh, which one did you say? The lobster one? <laughs> the lobster one. All right, you're locking it in. Locked in, man. That is correct. Yes, Anthony, very good. Lobsters do pee out of their faces. So, look, again, this is much like a couple of weeks ago where I'm going to have to completely re- Now, look, Anthony, you got it right. I'm not going to accuse you of cheating just because you got one right. Chances are you're going to get them right once in a while. Congratulations. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, get out of here. Go, go deliver some mail. This guy's on the phone all day long. He's in the mail truck. Meanwhile, poor Larry Hardesty's waiting for his package for two days. No wonder. Anthony's busy calling all the sports talk shows. All right, Harvey, now you've got a little idea of how the uh, segment works. Are you ready for a turn in the hot seat? I am ready there, sir. Bring it on. All right, Harvey, here we go. How, Harvey, may I ask how old you are, my friend? Uh, I am 26. 26. All right, so you're not, uh, you're not as young as 15-year-old Tom back there, but uh, still, you're, you're doing okay. All right, here we go. Number one, Dr. Seuss was originally a taxidermist, and his taxidermy was the basis for his artwork. Number two, the creator of Godzilla, I'm going to probably butcher his name, Tomoyuki Tanaka, used his ex-wife as inspiration for Godzilla. Number three, it was not until the early 1900s that left and right shoes 
were specific to the shape of your left and right feet. Before then, they were identical shoes. They just wore them on whatever feet you wanted. Or number four, the first article of clothing that Hugo Boss sold was erotic men's underwear. So to recap again for you, Harvey, number one, Dr. Seuss was originally a taxidermist. Number two, the creator of Godzilla, Tomoyuki Tanaka, used his ex-wife as an inspiration for the monster. Number three, it was not until the early 1900s that left and right shoes were not identical. Or number four, the first article of clothing that Hugo Boss sold was erotic men's underwear. So I'm going to go with what I hope is the answer more than using just basic logic. Yeah. I will go with the Godzilla. Godzilla, the, uh, the the creator of Godzilla, Tomoyuki Tanaka, used his ex-wife as inspiration. You gonna lock it in? I'm gonna lock it in. Now this is my first ever try, so I'm yes, hoping that's this, okay. That's I'm all right. I'm hoping this charts a, a good fortune for me. Well, look, Harvey, uh, no, no, I don't think anybody has ever gotten it right on the first try. So have no shame. No, that is incorrect. No, incorrect. That is not true. I just made that one. That one I completely made up. Poor Tomoyaki, uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka's wife is somewhere saying, "Wait a second. How did I get thrown in the mix? I don't even know that he had an ex-wife, so that is incorrect. Uh, We'll give you another shot here. you got three left. Dr. Seuss, taxidermist, used that as a basis for his artwork. Number two, not until the early 1900s that left and right shoes were not identical. Or number three, now three, it was four, first article of clothing that Hugo Boss sold was erotic men's underwear. Yeesh. I am familiar with the Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss, you've heard of Hugo Boss, I very have heard of Hugo very Boss. popular designer. Um, you know, I will go with the left and right shoes. Left and right shoes, not until the early 1900s that the left and right shoes were not identical. You going to lock it in? That's right. Harvey, not off to the best of starts here, my friend. No, 1800s, oh uh, about 1818 is when shoes finally got their uh, specific feet. So that uh, that is not true. Do you want one more one last crack here, Harvey? You know, sure. Why not? All right, you got you down to Dr. Seuss and uh, Hugo Boss. Let's go with Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, lock it in. Yes. That is it. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Seuss was actually kind of puts a little bit of a different twist on those books, huh? Putting taxidermy, stuffing animals, everything else. Oh. That fox in the box eating green eggs and ham. All of a sudden, it's got a weird twist to it. All right. Well, there you go, Harvey. All right. You got it there eventually. Uh, we got, I think we got time for one more. I think we'll go uh, Tom and Harvey. You guys can team up on this one if you want. Let's do um, it. Let's do it here. Let's see what I got. Uh, we already did that one. All right. Here we go. Number one. There are 136 documented people in the U.S. with the name LOL. I don't know how you say it, but the, the you know, the LOL laughing out loud. There are 136 documented people with that as their name. Number two, the date April 11th, 1954 has been recognized as the most boring day in, in history. Number three, banging your head against the wall for an hour burns more calories than a 30-minute jog. Or on uh, number four, 1980, a Las Vegas hospital was forced to fire 37 workers for betting up to $100,000 in total on when patients would die. Oh, so to recap, Jesus. yeah, this is deep. Uh, number one, 136 people in the U.S. have the name LOL. Number two, April 11th, 1954, recognizes the most boring day in history. Number three, banging your head against the wall for an hour burns more calories than a 30-minute jog. Or 1980, Las Vegas Hospital forced to fire 37 workers for a gambling ring betting on when patients would die. 
Okay. So the last one is gruesome. Uh-huh. But I also kind of want that to be the truth because sure. that would be something sick, and I feel like that would just be a fun fact that you could tell out of the party. Well, depends on who you are, yeah. Well, it, it depends. If you're right. a sick and twisted person like Tom Bauer is, then okay. you probably can. Wow. Tom is twisted and sick at 15. It doesn't bode well for future Tom Bauer. Not, okay. not looking good for future Tom Bauer, okay. but I'm going to go with the most boring day one. I remember seeing an old news clip, like newspaper okay. clipping. I don't know the exact date. Right. But I do remember that was a thing in the past, so I'm going to lock gotcha. that one in. Okay. Harvey, are you going to go with Tom, or are you going to go a different way? I will go a different way. I All will right. I will try to connect the dots here. 1980s, Vegas, uh-huh. gambling, hospital. Right. Uh, I will go with that one. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Ve- right? If you're going to have gambling at any hospital, it's in Vegas. Well, I'll tell you, one of you is right and one of you is wrong. Tom Bauer, fantastic performance today. Yes, April 11, 1954 has been recognized as the most boring day in world history. Now, the Las Vegas hospital one is is somewhat close to truth. Uh, nobody got fired. Some people got suspended, and it was never. I never got a documented number of people, and there was no uh, also no documentation in terms of how much money they were betting. So $100,000 was made up, 37 workers was made up, and being forced... You only got suspended. You're betting on when your patients will die, and it was only, it was only a two-week suspension. That's... Uh, it seems pretty lenient, maybe a little too lenient, but Tom Bauer, fantastic round, because that is what I learned this week on TikTok, and because of this segment, now you have learned it too. You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com. This portion of the Dave Rothenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN is brought to you by Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is live in New Jersey. Visit Superbook.com for all the latest odds and promotions. Have a problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we've focused a lot today on the whole Luis Castillo and the Yankees not landing him, and we'll get back to your phone calls here in a minute at 1-800-919-ESPN if you want to focus on the Yankees and trade targets and all that type of stuff with a few days here before the uh, baseball trade deadline. But I did want to get into some NFL stuff, uh, the Kyler Murray stuff and Jets and Giants. Let's start with the Giants because, to me, the Giants are uh, very interesting right now, and – they will be interesting right up until the point the games start to get played. Because let's be honest, the the Jets, the Gi- the Giants are not going to have a, a good year this year. Now I don't know that the Jets are going to have a good year, but I think the worst thing for the Giants would be to play to expectations. What do I mean by that? The Giants over under this year is seven and a half. So if the Giants are playing, if the expectation is seven eight wins, to me that would be the worst thing. Because then you're not really finding out for sure what direction you're going to. It's kind of middle of the road, right? Like if you exceed seven wins, well, then I think you probably are going to get some answers on some players, right? Like it's, it's very hard to me to envision a scenario where the Giants are going to win nine games anyway. But let's say they were to win nine games. If they're winning nine games, it's kind of hard to envision any way that, that Daniel Jones didn't take a pretty big step forward. It has to be pretty hard to envision a way that the offensive line isn't significantly improved. It would have to be hard to envision a way that the defense didn't play very, very well. So to me, the Giants have one big thing going for them this year is that this is kind of the honeymoon period for the new regime. You have, the best thing is that you have a full year 
to evaluate your roster in NFL, actual NFL games, where the results don't really matter. Now, look, I'm sure that people will be yelling and screaming if the Giants are bad again, but to me, they are almost certainly going to be bad again. They're a bad team. And while it's great they have a new GM and a new head coach, those guys can only do so much in the first offseason. Like, they still are, especially the GM, he's still tearing down the wreckage of what came before him. Like, you don't have the worst GM in team history like Dave Gettleman was, or, or one of the worst GMs in, in franchise history, and then all of a sudden get a clean slate the next year, it's going to take you some time to undo all the damage the previous guy did. So to me, the best thing the Giants have going for them is you hope you have legitimate people evaluating the offense at the first time for in a very long time, and now you have actual NFL games where you can evaluate them. You can evaluate Daniel Jones. You can evaluate the receivers, Kadarius Toney, the offensive line, all these different things. So to me, the worst thing would be for the Giants to play to expectations. I'd rather them be better than that, seven wins, because that's the middle. That's like middle of the pack kind of, not, not good enough to be in any kind of consideration, not good enough to think that, hey, we have uh, a brighter future than I thought. And if you have less than seven wins, to me, at least you know then, okay, everything that's here, we got to scrap it all, right? If you are winning four games this year, Daniel Jones almost certainly is not going to be back. You're going to have a very high draft pick to find your quarterback of the future. You're going to have, and that's probably the best path forward. Like for the Giants, it's not just about being better than they were. It's about being good again. It's about getting back into the playoffs and being a contender. The Giants have higher expectations than just the average bad team because the Giants have not always been bad. We've seen the Giants win Super Bowls not that long ago. So they're not like the Giant, they're not like the Jets in that way or, or teams that are perennial losers. Um, to me, if the Giants were to go 0-17 this year, it really shouldn't matter all that much. Even going 0-17 this year, it really shouldn't matter all that much because we know they're going to be bad, and it feels like, to me, if you're going to be bad, be the worst. Be, you know what I mean? Like, be the absolute worst. Don't be, like, mediocre kind of bad, or it kind of gives you some hope, but then you, you, you get back to reality, and you're kind of constantly fluctuating between, is it better than I think? Is it as bad as I think? No. If you're going to be bad, be worse. The other thing with the Giants, and this I, I, it keeps popping up. I don't know why it keeps popping up. Everybody who covers the team essentially is saying there's no basis in reality for this. The Giants are not getting Jimmy Garoppolo. The Giants should not be getting Jimmy Garoppolo. Why are people continuing to say the Giants are, are a destination for Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't care if Daniel Jones throws five interceptions in every single game the entire season. He could set the NFL record for interceptions fumbles, sacks. He could be on that not top 10 every single solitary week. Even then, makes no sense to get Jimmy Garoppolo. None. No sense. What, what, is, what does that do for you? If Daniel Jones is that bad that you, you know in, let's say, week five, he's terrible. And you're, he's not going to be the guy long term. Let's say it, it's that bad in the first month of the season. Well, then I think that's kind of why you got Tyrod Taylor, right? Like to have a little bit more of, a, of an acceptable, reputable backup quarterback who can come in and at least not embarrass the organization the way it was embarrassed at the end of last year with Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm and, and the mess and the disaster that turned out to be. 
when Daniel Jones got hurt. And if Daniel Jones gets hurt this year, you'd have to think, unless he's just playing out of his mind before that, that kind of will tell you the tale as well, right? Like Daniel Jones is hurt every single year. We can't rely on a guy if he can't stay healthy. And if he doesn't stay healthy this year, it's just a continuation of, of, the, of the previous three, four years. So uh, to me, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, not even taking into account the money, that makes no that, – that's not an improvement. There's no long-term connection with either Joe Shane or, or, or Brian Dable with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know why people continue to make the point that Jimmy Garoppolo to the Giants makes any sense whatsoever. It doesn't. And it would, be, it would actually be alarming to me if the Giants organization went out and said, you know what, we're going to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. That would, be, uh, that, would be, that would ring more alarm bells than just about anything else they could do. Even going 0-17, as bad as 0-17 would be to live through, I think going out and giving Jimmy Garoppolo would make me concerned, like, what are these guys doing? That's, that's, it might be an upgrade to a degree, but that's not what you're looking to do. Again, this year, it's all about evaluation. And if you're bad, so be it. This is the year to be bad. If you're going to be bad, be worse. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. Let's go to uh, Dan is in Jersey. Dan, you're next up on the Dave Rothenberg Show. Hey, Gordon, how you doing? I was uh, giving you a call. Um, You know, Giants fans, um, we we want Daniel Jones to be good. We have to rebuild this again. It's going to be a mess. My question for you is, what does Daniel Jones need to do to be the guy going forward? Are we talking about going over 500, if he makes the wild card, if he makes the divisional round? What, what's going to be that, that threshold where we're like, all right, cool, this is the guy? Well, look, here, here's the thing. I don't think it can be tied to wins and losses because I just don't think that the roster around him is good enough to, you know, like be 500 or, or be a playoff team. So I'll take that out of it, uh, to, uh, out of the equation. The first thing I would say is he has to be healthy for the every single game the Giants play this year. That's the first thing. Can't get hurt, can't be missing time. Enough with that already. The first sign of a franchise quarterback is he, you can rely on him, right? And, and the first sign to rely on somebody is you got to be actually able to play. The second thing is he has to, they have to be able to open up the offense far more than it's been the last two seasons and for him not to regress in terms of the turnovers like he had the first couple of years. The first couple of years, it was clear you, you couldn't put the ball in his hands and trust him because he was just a turnover machine between the fumbles and the interceptions. So they have to be able to open up the offense so it's a, it's a respectable NFL offense. It's not conservative to a degree where you're just trying to avoid turnovers and you don't trust your quarterback. Throw everything that you can at him. And then you have to see his stat line improve over what it was to me his rookie year. His rookie year was his best year. Now, part of that was he was also turning the ball over a ton. But, I mean, it was like 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. It has to be a slight improvement on that. If he threw 26 touchdowns and 14 interceptions and he stayed healthy for every game and the turnovers weren't crippling every single game, that at least to me would say, hey, you know what? Maybe Daniel, maybe I don't want to go invest another high pick in a quarterback, but that would be what I would be looking at. Not team goals, personal goals, and that was what, what they would relatively look like. I think one other thing is um, we we underestimate how inept Joe Judge really was. This guy clearly had no offensive mind at all. No, I mean, to me, Joe Judge, he was like out of central casting for what you think a football coach should sound like. But in terms of actual production, uh, no, that was not there. And in terms of offensive game, I mean – 
it was it was bad, man. It was it was bad with Jones, and then when he left, it it became downright comical. I mean, they were not a professional NFL team down the stretch of the season. Once I don't remember what game it was that Jones got hurt, but those last five six games, I mean, poof. I brought it up with Larry during the week. Like whenever the Giants are good again, and they do like the video montage in the pregame show to tell the story about how the Giants turned it around. The first clips you'll see is of how bad it was at one time. And the clips that you'll see of how bad it was at one time will be those plays down the stretch of the season with Joe Judge as the head coach. No question about it. Uh, and and look, there's to me, there is a I, – I think it's very – the feeling right now is it's very doubtful that Daniel Jones is going to be the guy or that beyond this season that he'll still be here. I can envision a scenario – if we're all in agreement that the Giants are a long-term rebuild, I can see a scenario where Jones is healthy all year and plays better, and the Giants as an organization say, you know what, let's, let's keep this going here. Let's, we don't want to completely cut ties with Jones. We like him. We, we've had him in, with the organization. He's a good kid, and we'll work out some type of, not a long-term contract, certainly, not a big-time money deal, but something that extends him with the organization beyond just this season. Like, you know, maybe they'll, they'll figure out something that it's, you know, a two- or three-year deal where he stays here, they're not investing major money, and they're not forced to, with another high pick in the draft, likely go back into that quarterback market. That, that's not crazy to me. I, I don't expect it necessarily, but I don't think that that would, be, that would not shock me as much as, as other things. There's going to have to be a lot of turnover with the, this entire roster over the next couple of years. The Giants, again, they're not a quick fix. They're not uh, a player or two away. And if part of the problem with Daniel Jones was he was not surrounded by the, the necessary things to succeed, well, then cutting ties with him – and drafting a quarterback with an organization that they were all in agreement is a long-term rebuild, isn't that just kind of doing the same thing all over again? You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com. New York Mets injury report is brought to you by Total Orthopedic Spine and Sports Medicine. And, of course, with the Mets, it's all about Jacob DeGrom. The reports are out there that the plan is for DeGrom reportedly to come off the I.L. finally and make his season debut Tuesday in Washington. So it would be Scherzer DeGrom Monday, Tuesday in D.C. And obviously that would be DeGrom's first appearance since uh, July of last year. And the dream was when the Mets signed Max Scherzer, hey, we're going to have this two-headed monster atop the rotation. And here we are almost into uh, August, and we have still not seen the two-headed monster atop the rotation. So it looks like Tuesday is the day, finally, that Jacob deGrom will be back. And that's the Mets injury report brought to you by Total Orthopedics, Spine, and Sports Medicine. Total Ortho Express is Long Island's premier orthopedic immediate care where no appointment is needed. After all, time doesn't heal wounds. Uh, they do. Now, uh, we talked about the Giants. I had one more thing on the Giants, because uh, I've seen a lot of stuff about Kadarius Toney and uh, how, you know, a big year for him, right? It's a big year for everybody. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the NFL. And people have, you know, pointed out that Tony has the, the talent to be one of the, the top receivers in the sport. Like, that's how you, 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 you can – when he's playing and playing well like he did in that Cowboy game or that Saints game, 
um, it's clear that he kind of just kind of jumps off the screen at you with his his twitch ability, his ability to to make space and and get extra yards. And there's no question about that. There's a reason why he was drafted as high as he was. The range of outcomes when it comes to Kadarius Tony, you could absolutely see that he'll probably have some some brilliant moments. But if you're asking me after seeing year one and the full Kadarius Tony experience, it's hard to me to envision uh, a scenario where he will be a guy that you can count on consistently. And to be the one of the best receivers in football, that's what you're talking about. It's not just once in a while. It's not just about having the ability. It's about doing it week in and week out. Now, last year was a very difficult year for the Giants offensively. It was a you know, real disaster, uh, especially once Daniel Jones. It was bad when Daniel Jones was there, and then it got comically bad once he was gone. But you take a look at Kadarius Tony's rookie year. He had the game in Dallas. I mean, what a microcosm. The game in Dallas... He puts up almost 200 yards receiving. He has 10 catches. He's electric and yet still gets kicked out of the game for throwing a punch. And, and really, outside of that game and the New Orleans game, he didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, he was invisible on the field. And for him to be, uh, maybe that's the greatest indictment yet of the, the previous coaching regime that they couldn't figure out, they couldn't scheme a way to get the ball into a guy who has that kind of talent and that kind of ability because uh, last year he had 39 catches and he had 16 of those in two games. So the rest of the year, you're talking about not a whole lot of production. He had 420 yards receiving overall. He had almost 200 in the Dallas game. So like a quarter of his production came in that one game. And the rest of the season, as I said, was um, was pretty much a mess. And it, it went back to trading. It would seem like there was always something. So when you're saying when you're saying that you that the team envisions him as being someone who can be one of the best receivers in the sport, it's not just about the ability. Yeah, the ability is, is necessary to get to that level, but it's also about doing it consistently. And it doesn't really seem like Kadarius Toney has been able to do anything consistently since he got to the Giants, since they drafted him, be it training camp, be it regular season, uh, be it this offseason where there were reports that the Giants were, were looking to move him and obviously weren't able to do that. So, um, you know, the Giants are a team made up of guys with a big season. It's all about showing this new regime that they deserve to be here long, tar- long term. And it just kind of feels like with Kadarius Toney, uh, whether or not he's ever able to give you a, a real safe feeling like you know what to expect at the worst case scenario, it doesn't, I don't know. I've seen too many guys that are super talented, but it just never clicks for some reason. And he's, he's got great ability. But we've seen in the past, it's not just about ability. 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. Let's go back to the phones. We've got to Spike is in St. Pete. Spike, you're up on the Gordon Damer Show. Well, I'm glad I got on. I have two things, well, three things to bring up real quickly. First of all, uh, I'll talk about Aaron Judge at the end. Uh, The guy that, this really pissed me off, the guy that called and called you a moron, I just oh. want to uh, let don't him worry. know. I, you know, people no. said, you know, don't, don't, please. Don't, no. don't. I got to get it out. It's good for me. Try and do what Gordon Damer does. Just try it. He's got one producer there today. He's good. <laughs> he's funny. He's accurate. And he, he, well, look, he, I mean, he you know, Spike, as they always say, when they start making 
uh, attacks uh, of you about things that not not what you're saying, but of who you are as a person, that means you've already won the argument. Yeah, I, I get it, but but I hope you appreciate and understand. I mean, we're friends, and I call a lot, and I look forward to you. You're, you're different. You're, you're a quiet taste, but just put that guy in that seat, and he'll pull a Ralph Cramden with the hummer, the hummer, the hummers. Especially well, no, with I the, mean, he made a good point. The Yankees win 90 games every single year, so we yeah, should just be well, happy that's right, that. that's right. And here's my point. Here's where I'm going full circle, and I appreciate you giving me the floor. I don't want to win 90 games. I told you this yesterday at 5 in the morning, whatever it was, when I called you. Pull the trigger already. This is the Yankees, for God's sakes. Pull the trigger. Who gives a crap about uh, about uh, prospects? You know, for every 50 prospects, if you land on three and two are good and one is okay, you're lucky. So I'll leave it at that. My last thing is this, and thanks for giving me the floor, Aaron Judge. I said it to Kay yesterday, is special. He's very, very special. Is this a special year? I don't know if it's any more special than his first year. When you put that into perspective, Gordon, that year he should have got robbed, got robbed on the MVP. But I think the Yankees, um, I don't know if they're going to do anything, but they missed it with this pitcher because of whatever reason. So I'll leave you with that. And this was a fantastic show. And Thanks, uh, I appreciate the phone call. Yeah, look, uh, you know, in, in terms of the Yankees, I'm sure they will do something. But it's not just about doing something. It's about having a point where you say, you know what, we're all in. We're all in on this season. And it just feels like the Yankees have somehow morphed into this organization that just wants to be good forever, but is not really all that concerned about being great ever. And um, that's 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 the the antithesis uh, of the New York Yankees. And again, I'm not telling you that going all in all the time is the right approach. George Steinbrenner, I'm one of the few people that say it. George Steinbrenner, that was his approach and his approach ran the organization into the ground. You know, for all the calls that you hear about oh George, what George were here, if George, it's just as you know, like George's approach was not the best approach. Let's put it that way. You go back to the to the to the mid '80s to the late '80s, where he was trading away prospects every single year and expecting to win the World Series and signing guys to contracts that they didn't deserve, just thinking that by signing them to big money they'll perform like big money players. So George ran the organization into the ground. He he operated like an unhinged lunatic every year, firing managers, pitching coaches, GMs. It was a disaster. So I'm not telling you that that's the right approach, but no approach is the right approach all the time, and it feels like things have swung back far too much in the opposite direction where there's never the time to go all in. There's never the, the, the chance to, to give up the prospects for a real difference maker. And yes, Juan Soto is a real difference maker. And Luis Castillo, if we're all in agreement, again, anybody can argue this point. We still have some time left in the show. The Yankees' goal this year, clearly, win the World Series. World Series or bust. Nobody can debate that. And nobody can debate that Luis Castillo was the best starting pitcher on the market. And the Yankees did not pay the price necessary to get that guy. Sometimes you have to pay the price. You can't always get a bargain. And sometimes, yes, you have to overpay. This is the time. This is the year that it makes sense for the Yankees to overpay. And at least so far... They're not willing to do that. You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com.
we still have so much more stuff to do here. Uh, a couple things. A, now this is one that I didn't, I was not thinking about bringing it up, but then I just saw a couple of tweets there. Nothing new on, it seems like, the Donovan Mitchell Knicks front, right? Seems like talks, the reports are talks have stalled. Nothing's happening there. And to me, no news is good news. No news. The longer this goes on, I feel like the better news it is for the Knicks. Now, I want the Knicks to land Donovan Mitchell. Make no mistake. To me, it depends on the price. I'm not giving up everything. But if it's, you know, a couple of draft picks, a couple of players, make that deal happen. And it's felt like for a while now that that move is inevitable. But you might feel like, well, but nothing's happened. So obviously the Knicks are not going to get him. No, no, no. What's nice is that while the talks have stalled, have you seen any reports of anybody else becoming the front runner? Has Miami all of a sudden moved a bunch of pieces around to get some draft picks that the Jazz are going to want? No, it doesn't seem that way. Any other team all of a sudden making moves to, to get the necessary pieces to land Donovan Mitchell? doesn't seem that way. So to me, no news is good news when it comes to the Knicks and, and the Jazz and the fact that the, the, the talks have, have stalled. The, the main thing the Knicks have to avoid, and they've avoided at least so far, is panic. So many past regimes by this point would have panicked, would have overpaid. That's a time where you don't overpay. There's times to not overpay. The Knicks are not in a position to overpay. It shouldn't be come hell or high water, let's get Donovan Mitchell. But if the price is right, yeah, he's a major upgrade over everything you have. He's the best player you've had in a very long time. He's the best guard you've had in forever. But I don't want to overpay because that for the Knicks would be a mistake from where they are. They were six games out of the play-in. Now, if the Knicks were finishing in the NBA Finals and they had a piece, they had the one piece that was available to them that they needed to get to get over the top, that's the time to overpay. That's the position the Yankees are in. So it's not like you know people were bringing up, oh, you just say get rid of this, get rid of that. You don't care about the future. No, no, no. It depends on – I base my opinions – on the evidence that I have at the time. I'm not all one way. I'm not all one uh, the other way. I look at what the evidence is. I look at what the facts are. And, and I base my decision on that. <laughs> Why? What do you do? <laughs> Isn't, I thought that that's what everybody did. Apparently not. Some Yankee fans are miserable no matter what happens. Some Yankee fans give the organization excuses after excuses after excuses. I base my decisions and my, my opinions on what the facts are. And look, sometimes the facts change, right? Like if it turns out that the Knicks give up every draft pick they have and they give up a bunch of players as well to get Donovan Mitchell. They give up uh, R.J. Barrett. They give up, um, you know, uh, McBride and, and, and a bunch of the young kids that they've, they've kind of stopped, Obi and, and Grimes, and they give up draft picks. Well, then I'll say that was a mistake. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, at least not yet. Looks like they'll give up a couple of players. They'll give up probably a bunch of picks, a couple of their own, a couple of ones they've stockpiled here. Uh, to me, if that's what the deal turns out to be, that would be a good deal. That would be a significant upgrade for the Knicks, and the price would kind of match the player that you're getting. But there's no approach that's the right approach all the time. So to me, the fact that the Knicks have not pulled the trigger yet is good. And the fact that nobody else is being reported as being all of a sudden, oh, the Jazz are gonna, the, the Jazz have got a deal in place with the the Heat or you know some other team, the the, the Trailblazers are ready to swoop in and steal Donovan Mitchell. 
That hasn't happened. It's all quiet. Quiet's good. Quiet is good. I like quiet. That's, I have no problem with quiet. So the longer this goes on, you don't have to make a deal in July, and, and the Knicks should not feel panicked at any point because, again, if the price becomes too high, there's no mandate that the Knicks, to me, have to get Donovan Mitchell under any set of circumstances. Like, there's no deal that they have to get him. It's, is, is, does the deal make sense? If the deal makes sense, then go out and do it. That is an upgrade, and that improves your team pretty significantly. That's a good offseason. That's a far better offseason than he had last offseason. But there's nothing to me that says they have to go out and do it and pay any price. I'm not one of those people, not in that case. But the Yankees, to me, it's a different situation. They are at the top, hoping to get to the top. They have to close a very narrow window, and they're a great team, great regular season, but it ain't about the regular season. It's about putting pe- getting difference makers for that postseason run that finally ends up with a championship. Uh, let's squeeze in a couple more calls here. 1-800-919-ESPN. Frank is in New Rochelle. Frank, go, my man. Hey, hi. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The, the Donovan Mitchell deal, you don't want to overpay. They don't seem to want Barrett because you have to pay Barrett. You give him four draft picks, give him a couple of guys, Grimes, like you said, Toppin, maybe. I'd maybe like to hold on to Toppin, but if it was a matter of sending him and making a deal, I'd send him. And they're a better team then. And it's the same with the Yanks. Like that narrow window that you just said, they have to make some deal for another pitcher. They blew it on Castillo. He's with Seattle now. And we'll see by 6 o'clock Tuesday if Cashman could make a deal to help their pitching. Because no Yankee fan trust this pitching staff right now in the playoffs, period. No, absolutely, Frank. I got to run here. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, like part of it, I think, is getting Severino back. But I think you still need to add to it, right? Like, why wouldn't you? If you're not adding now when there's big pieces available, even to a great – you know, the 98 Yankees went out and brought in Roger Clemens. Would they would, would the Yankees now make that same type of move where they would take take a player even though they had a great team that would put them over the top even more upgrade even off a team that won as many games as the '98 Yankees would? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like they're looking to upgrade on, at that scale. They're looking to find deals. They're looking to find bargains. And sometimes you have to pay what you have to pay. Yeah, it's not about getting a bargain. It's about getting the best thing you can. And sometimes you got to overpay. 